Thanks for tuning into the Good Trash Genrecast. Good Trash is brought to you in part by SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. Because at some point, somebody stopped loving you. Good Trash is also brought to you in part by support from listeners like you. On more information on becoming a patron, please go to Patreon.com forward slash GTGC. That's Patreon.com forward slash GTGC. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? Good Trash Genrecast. If I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. You are without doubt the worst pirate I've ever heard of. But you have heard of. What makes you think that? I stumbled across the recording while I was cleaning him. He says he belongs to someone called Obi-Wan Kenobi. I thought he might have meant old Ben. Do you know what he's talking about? Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table to talk about movies you wouldn't normally discuss inside a film studies course. And this week's film is the story of one military man's struggle to fit in with the village people as we talk. (laughs) That's right, as we talk a few good men and continue our December marathon, You Don't Know Jack, part deux. Eagle-eared listeners might be noticing they're hearing somebody else's voice do this, this, uh, introduction type stuff uh ladies and gentlemen it breaks my heart to tell you dustin sells is not at the table tonight he he is uh away on uh, scholarly duties so yeah uh, after 152 episodes he finally didn't make it to the table finally apparently uh ph <clears throat> phd papers take that out of you i guess well, it's because so. it's I, it's, I, I took the week off for et and he, he thinks that gives him a green light to not Do show whatever he wants our show i know yeah we're also missing Alex, who's what also scholarly pursuing ventures outside of the podcast. Yeah, what is it with these crazy kids and wanting to like further their academic careers again? I mean, it's, it's just weird. Know. This is the first ever episode. Arthur, you've missed a couple. Alex yeah. has missed a couple. I've missed one. This is the first episode Dustin has not been on it's in weird. 153 shows. It's the weirdest thing. Hopefully, we'll make him proud and make Papa proud. And, uh, well, maybe we'll, we'll realize we'll we don't on. need his old ass. Yeah, we can just, you know, younger, faster, better. We'll just push on without <laughs> I him. I don't know, guys. I, I won't get a nostalgic rem- memory of going to the, the, movie, the movie we're reviewing. Without Dad to, to, to give us lessons about VHS. <laughs> God Back bless you, in Dustin. my day. <laughs> I was there when <laughs> Rob Reiner cast a few good men. <laughs> God bless you, Dustin. We miss you. And so we are talking a few good minutes. But before we continue, you've heard us talk, and we need to make some introductions to my left, sir, if you will. My name is Dalton Stewart, and if you haven't gotten a blowjob from a superior officer while you're letting the best in life pass you by. (laughs) I don't know that I can attest to that. To my right, sir, if you will. (laughs) My name is Caleb Masters, and uh, is... um is Dalton's underwear really a, a matter of national security? <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> uh, that's right. I'm what you call? I'm what the CIA calls a honeypot. <laughs> Again, I can't attest to that either. Uh, and I am Arthur Gordon, and you want me on this podcast. You need me on this podcast. We certainly do, Arthur. Uh, that's right. And for those of you who may not be familiar, this is not a review show. It is an analysis show. We will be getting to that a little later in the show. Uh, this week, we're talking and unpacking Rob Reiner directed, Aaron Sorkin scripted, which stars Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, and every other up-and-coming late 80s star you can think of, and Kevin Pollock. 
And, and, well, you can't forget <laughs> and, and Kevin Pollock and, and, Kevin, and Pollock. Kevin Pollock, and you can't forget Kevin Bacon oh. because of the five degrees of Kevin Bacon. Oh yeah, six and Bacon is good in this movie. Oh yeah, we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, we'll though. get there. We'll get. But there. yeah, this is the, the continuation of You Don't Know Jack Part Two, in which we discuss only the films uh, that Jack Nicholson is in, it, which is a great marathon. I'm so excited. This fun. could be a six month marathon. Yeah, we could. Yeah, we could start a whole podcast about You Don't Know Jack, and it'd be a blast. I think. Um, but before we get down to business of analysis, we're going to hear some quick. Uh, synopsis from the voice of the Dollar Theater, and then we're going to get into our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. So before we go any further, Mr. Voice of the Dollar Theater, Dalton Stewart, give us that synopsis, if you will. Military lawyer Caffey defends Marines accused of murder. They contend they were acting under orders. Yeah, that that really sums up the story, I think. I Paints it from A to Z. Are we seeing this in the Dollar Theater or the Rapist Theater? I'm a little confused. <laughs> I am not comfortable with that implication, sir. That is my grindhouse voice. I, what's the difference? I, I don't know. Explain to me. I, you know, uh, Arthur's doing hosting stuff. He can't do everything. I got I to gotta do the synopsis this week. Yeah, this is going to be a one-man show. That'd Why be don't real you awkward. shut your mouth, Caleb? <laughs> Take before him back I to his tent. For sure, I shut it for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going <laughs> to... Well, so there you have it, dear listener. That's what you're going to be in for for the next hour or so. Um, but uh, So thumbs up, thumbs down review. We're going to tell you what we thought about the movie initially, uh, if we liked it or not, and then we'll get into that analysis business that we're all here for. So, Mr. Caleb Masters, thumbs up or thumbs down, what would you think of A Few Good Men? Well, A Few Good Men is what I like to call the Aaron Sorkin Begins of writer origin stories. <laughs> it's It's got all of his trademark strengths, like the sharp dialogue, all the great walk-and-talk set pieces, and characters who are hyper-intelligent. Uh, and actually, more so than many of his future films, I think this it fits with this movie because they're you know in a courtroom most of the time where everyone actually is really, really intelligent yeah. and having to argue the ins and outs of law. And I, I feel like this movie actually is one of the best suited. This setting uh, is the one of the best suited stories for his his very distinct writing style. Yeah, uh, more, much more so than like Steve Jobs or The Social Network, for instance. Now, aside from a few truly awful accents coming from you know the likes of Kiefer Sutherland, uh, the performances all around are excellent. You know, one of the big criticisms you get from later Aaron Sorkin movies is that everyone feels like a mouthpiece for that writer. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a fair criticism, but I think I don't know if it's the actors at play or maybe R- director Rob Reiner reining in the you know the Sorkinisms here. But it feels like these actually feel like living, breathing characters with their own kind of motivations and, and, and arcs and everything. Like they feel like real people. Uh, and I don't think you could find any actors better suited for Sorkin's walk and talk than Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise, and, and Kevin Bacon. Mm, the bacon. That's fair. Uh, the, yeah. Uh, and our boy Jack. While not in the film much, absolutely kills the two or three key scenes he's in. I mean, I swear, if I didn't know he was acting, I would believe he was a bona fide United States Marine colonel with a mouth because he just it, it's it's bizarre how good he is in the in those scenes. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I got to give it a thumbs up. Very good, very good, very good, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What would you say? Thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you think? It's a, it's a perfectly fine movie. Um, I like a, a courtroom drama as much as the next person because of the the fun speeches, the dialogue, the mystery. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy courtroom dramas, but I think they are usually pretty slight films in, in general uh, because there's not really a lot of subtext going on in, in, in these sorts of films. And and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's just kind of the nature of the beast. I mean, that's what you get from from courtroom dramas. 
I do like A Few Good Men quite a bit. I, I don't think it's a, an essential film by any means. Uh, there, there's a reason it's kind of hard to find. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of fallen out of, of popular dialogue. It is a great Jack Nicholson performance. I, I I love Nicholson in this movie. The the two or three scenes he's in are great. Tom Cruise is fantastic in this movie. Uh, you know, you don't you you can't handle the truth has become such a uh, pop culture uh, touchstone that I, I think it, you know you you hear it out of context and now it's kind of silly. Uh, within the context of the film, it is a powerful moment. Oh yeah, yeah. It is absolutely. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to them. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. The truth is, we live in a world with walls, and uh, what you, we live in a world with walls, and those walls need men with guns. Yeah. And you want me on that wall? You need me on that wall because from the beginning, Nicholson is portrayed in an unsympathetic light. Yeah. Like, we're not supposed to like him from the start. Yeah. So, so him, he's like, okay, you you want to know what it, how it is? I'm going to tell you exactly how it is. Just because you might be uncomfortable with some of the things I do, uh, that doesn't mean they aren't necessary. Uh, and it is a chilling scene. And, and again, it has become kind of silly uh, because it's so ubiquitous in popular culture. I mean, you look at anything that... I mean, there are cartoons that, that spoof that scene from... I think Animaniacs had, had yeah. a, a scene that spoofed that courtroom yeah. scene. Uh, but it is powerful. Uh, and Sorkin's script here is great. Reiner... Uh, Really, you know, I think Reiner, he is kind of a journeyman filmmaker. I don't think anybody would go as far as to call him an auteur. No, no. Um, you know, he doesn't have really an aesthetic or a th- any themes that he goes after. Uh, but I think he is underrated uh, as an American filmmaker. I mean, he makes very solid films. Oh, yeah. Um, like the, um, the starting the film with the um, the Marine Honor Guard, uh, you know, doing the rifle drills, you know, the, this, this symbol uh, of the honor and, you know, duty – uh, and discipline uh, of the United States Marine Corps, uh, juxtaposed with uh, the final letters of PFC Santiago, which happens, if not right at the very beginning of the film, fairly early. Um, so I think that's a really interesting choice. Um, I, I like the film overall. Again, I, I, I don't think it's essential viewing. I, I think it is, again, a, a fairly slight film. You know, the, We'll get into this in analysis, but we all kind of had some difficulty really pinning down anything of meat in here because there's no subtext. It's all... Very much surface level. There, there isn't you know anything left to imagination. They tell you what everyone's feeling and what everyone thinks. You know, they literally tell us why Demi Moore and why Kevin Pollock, why Kevin Pollock and why Demi Moore have the opinions they have about about the men on trial. They tell you why Tom Cruise is afraid to go to go to court. Uh, you know, instead of letting those things be subtext and letting them go unsaid, everyone tells you exactly how they feel, which I think is a weakness of the film. Uh, another weakness, we, we know very early on, and getting into spoiler territory a little early here, but we know very early on that Jack Nicholson is responsible for what happens in this film uh, within the first half hour, so I don't think it's that much of a spoiler. And I wonder what the film might be like, and, and I've seen the stage production, so I, that's in the stage production as well. I think it might have been more interesting to leave that a mystery where we don't really know exactly what happened. Um, it's an interesting choice, but I wonder what it would have been like if they made the opposite choice. So overall, I like the film quite a bit. The performances are very good. Um, and it, you know, if, if nothing else, it gave us the walk and talk, uh, the walk and talk that Aaron Sorkin is so famous for using in the West wing 
was something Rob Reiner added to the screenplay because, you know, it's, it's a stage play. So there's a lot yeah. of people standing and talking and sitting in rooms. And yeah. he said, well, what if we have them walk down this hallway and, and do this scene? And Sorkin loved it so much that it's gone on to be a trademark of his uh, his career. Yeah. But overall, I think it's a solid film. Uh, Arthur, what do you think about it? Uh, I, I probably echo your sentiments a lot, and, and Kayla as well. I like this movie a lot. I wouldn't say that I love it, but I do enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for good acting. I really am. And so I think this movie is just chock full of great performances. I love the cat and mouse dynamic between Nicholson and Cruz. I love the setup and I love that final trial. I think it's just brilliant. And I, I love, I love the way it's written and the way that, uh, Kathy suckers Jeff Jessup in. And I love the way that all plays out. It's so cool. He does. I, I love the way they kind of execute that plan too. And so I enjoy that. I like a lot of the scripting and, and I think, one of the things you've mentioned that lack of subtext. I think Sorkin wears his subtext on his sleeve in most of his films, and I well, think that's as, something as we Caleb see here. Caleb pointed out. I mean, people in Sorkin things are always a mouthpiece for Sorkin's ideas, usually, especially yeah. the main character in yeah. his films. Um, I think I think Sorkin wants us to wrestle with the ideas, but as far as subtextually, there's not. I mean, it, there's not subtext because he gives it to you all in the actual text, which yeah, is exactly. it's a trademark. Uh, there are, there's ideas to wrestle with, no doubt, but there's not really a lot of. It's analysis. right there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's in your there. face. Uh, my biggest qualms with the movie is it feels like an early '90s movie. It's got that really rough score. Oh, I hate bad. the score. I score hate is it. not good. In this I film. hate the score, and I think I love Rob Reiner. I mean, we're talking about the guy who gave us Stand by Me, Princess Bride, uh, Misery up to this point. So I mean, the guy's making good movies. I agree with Dalton. I don't think he's a notour, but I think he's a strong journeyman filmmaker. I don't know that his direction is suited for this type of procedural. Uh, I, I don't either. Uh, following uh, following this, they make it, uh, him and Sorkin team up again to do the American President, and I think his. Uh, his style works much more with, with that romantic comedy kind of screwball comedy esque uh, genre rather than this procedural type. And because there's a lot of those cliche like it's rain, the raining, that kind of stuff. I don't like yeah. that type of stuff. Um, other uh, overall though, I, I agree with you guys. I think it's a really solid movie. I enjoy it's, it's it. Just not a, it. It's not a very visually arresting film. Yeah, I mean, I mean they, they do their best to to make it less stagey, but. They yeah. fail, I yeah. would say. So, I mean, but overall, at the end of the day, I, I like it a lot. I'll, I'll watch it again probably because I enjoy it. Um, so, as you can tell, we the voices around this table are uh, mostly favorable towards A Few Goods Men. But it's time to do what we came to do. It's time for us gentlemen to get down to business. It's business. That's right, dear listener. And that business at question, the business at hand is analysis. And so we're going to try to unpack. We've mentioned some of the struggles we've had. We're going to try to unpack Rob Reiner and Aaron Sorkin's A Few Good Men. I've come up with a few questions I'm going to ask the table. Uh, Dalton's got a couple I think he may pose, and I want to kind of start there because one of the big things we see in this movie is that dynamic, that presence of the military ideal and that culture that we've kind of seen, uh, duty, service, God, family, that whatever it is. I don't know the exact four, but it's something yeah. in that vein. It was, uh, it was um, what was it? Unit, unit core, core, core God, God country. country. There it is. Yeah. Unit core God country. And so that's kind of the, the mantra that we see here. And they that was originally, I think, the mantra of the military, they ch- or the Marines. Uh, they changed that into something we see a few good men or the, the few, the proud, the Marines that we see well, later. The, yeah, that was a few good men used to be uh, at the time this film was released and the time Sorkin was writing it. A few good men was recruiting the recruiting slogan, slogan yeah. for the Marines. Yeah. And now it's the few, the proud. Yeah. And so uh, we, we get in this idea that the culture they're kind of 
segregated and Caleb mentioned off air is kind of cult-like. And I think uh, that kind of lends itself to something we can discuss. And uh, Dalton, I think, had an idea here he wanted to bring up about what's kind of at play there. Yeah, well, uh, a frequent contributor to this show, uh, people who've been listening a long time should know the name Brigham Cole by now. Uh, Brigham's a very old friend of mine. He's one of the oldest listeners this show has. Uh, Frequently keeps us... uh, up, up to date and in the loop on, you know, breaking entertainment news, uh, gives us a lot of good feedback. Uh, Brigham was in the United States Marine Corps uh, for five or six years, um, you know, served a full term of duty. Um, but he, he was in the United States Marine Corps, and he texted me uh, before we recorded, just kind of, you know, asking me what I was going to talk about on this. And he just said, you know, I hadn't really decided yet. I thought about a couple of things. And he, he said, well, I, something he finds really interesting in this film, and I'm inclined to agree with him, is this the dichotomy uh, of what goes on in public versus what goes on behind closed doors, particularly in large institutions like this, and specifically in this film, and uh, to Brigham's point, uh, in the Marine Corps. Um, now, this film was released prior to uh, hazing actually being a punishable offense in the United States Marine Corps. Uh, Brigham texted me and said that there had been a... Um, a hazing scandal somewhere between 96 and 98. Um, but it became illegal fleet wide around that time around 1998. Um, it, it became f- illegal fleet wide, uh, in the United States Marine Corps, uh, to do anything that even resembled hazing. Um, and he, he, he just pointed out that it's interesting, you know, you, you have the president's band playing, um, uh, pre- the president's own, which is the name of the Marine Corps band. They're playing Semper Fidelis, which is the, the Marine Corps anthem, uh, and the scene of the silent drill. Uh, the Rifle Corps, uh, which is a really cool way to open the film. Yeah. But they, what Brigham pointed out was we also see that juxtaposed with the murder of uh, PFC uh, Santiago. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I really, I, I got to credit where credit is due. Thank you for pointing that out, Brigham. That's a really, yeah, really good point. Good. Um, because I think that is part of what this film is getting at, is the symbol, the Marines uh, as a very proud institution, um, Having grown up in a family full of service members um, and knowing uh, just through my, my personal life, service members outside my family, uh, <laughs> Marines have a, a very specific mindset about about their uh, branch of the service. Uh, and they're very proud. They they are. They are very proud of, of the Corps. Uh, you know, God love them for it. But um, it does border on fanatical at times. And I think what Brigham was pointing out is what you see is the public face, the beautiful dress uniforms, and the Marines do have some of the best dress uniforms. They yeah, really they do. do. Yeah, they've yeah, got. They do. They're both the the full dress and like the half dress that they're yeah. wearing in court. They've got great uniforms. Um, you know that they are doing very dangerous jobs because they are invasion forces, um, but they're really into themselves. And I think that is what we see here is both the public face of the, this great, you know, disciplined honored institution but what goes on behind closed doors is a brutal um hateful um institution that has really uh, contempt for the nation that they serve in a lot of ways uh contempt for those who do not serve um you know and i i wouldn't say that's a, a full armed forces problem i think we do get the same thing, you know. Demi Moore said, "Kevin Pollock is like, why do you like them so much?" And she's, uh, she says, "Because you know they do what no one else is going to do." Um, but and she asks him, "Why do you hate them so much?" And he says, "Because they picked on a weakling." You know, they, yeah, they, and and that's you know when Loudon is like, "Why are we?" 
it's so funny at the end of this film. The the thing that they're bothered most by is that they are found guilty of conduct unbecoming of a marine. Yeah. And Loudon's like, what? What? what we but Jessup, we do we do what we were supposed to do, uh, and uh, Downey says, no, we we should have protected yeah. Santiago. And I think that does kind of speak to this this mindset dichotomy of you know we're better than everyone because we're in the Marine Corps versus we should be protecting people who can't protect themselves. Yeah. Like that is our job. Yeah. Um, and I think it is, and again, I think Jessup really personifies this idea of, you know, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Have you sir, ever served in an infantry unit, son? Yeah. Um, I, I think that isn't, does anybody else, you know, want to add anything to that though? I, I don't really have much to say other than bringing that idea to the table. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it's an interesting idea. I mean, I don't have inside experience with Marines, but I would say the my my experience growing up um, had one of my best friends grew up in the Marine. His his dad grew up in the Marines. Had a lot of Marine buddies that I'd hang out with. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, again, personal experience, from my perception is that the movie is pretty accurate about some of the more toxic, very very egotistical. They they uh, not even just looking down on the citizens, but every other branch of the U.S. military. Yeah. That, you know, because they're the well, ones who get on the ground before it's actually yeah. a war, you know? Well, they, they say Army is an acronym for ain't ready for the Marines yet. Right. I mean, that's their thing. And they all, they all shit talk each yeah. other. But, oh, you yeah. know, I grew up in... Um, uh, my, some of my closest family friends are, are Navy, and I'm going to switch... Uh, I think it's Kendrick um, Kiefer Sutherland's character that says, "No, I, I like you, Navy boys, just fine. Anytime there's a fight, you give us a ride," <laughs> which is uh, a real thing. Although yeah. I, I tell you plenty of stories I've heard of Marines kicking the sh- or uh, uh, Navy servicemen kicking the shit out of Marines in bar fights. So uh, let's give the Marines or the Navy credit. credit yeah. Give them where credit well, is just, due. Just give credit to anyone who serves. I mean, no, that's, yeah, it's, 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 honor- it's an honorable thing to do, even if you don't support military. Um, I, I think this fits in really well with the analysis from a few weeks ago. Uh, with Starship Troopers, uh, where we talked about, you know, the, the, the how that's a required reading for anyone who's joined the United States Marine Corps, and I think Brigham had confirmed that yeah, for us as well. Yeah, Brigham confirmed for, confirmed for us. I think it's on the the their academy required reading list. I forget. It's not actually. It, you don't have to read it if you're in the Marine Corps, right. though, but it is on a Marines uh, suggested list, list or yeah. something like that. Uh, it's just interesting because it does kind of play in this really kind of kind of group thing. This movie definitely highlights these guys. They, you have to look and act and talk shit just like they are. You have to be tough, and if you don't, then they're going to look down on you. And of course, you know Santiago, Santiago. Santiago. He doesn't fit in. He wants out, and they smell that and they exploit that. Uh, and and I, I think it's it's an interesting idea. Um, again, kind of beating the the individuality out of people um, so they can think that way. And and it also kind of feeds in this idea of to- uh, toxic max- masculinity. I think definitely at play here too. Um, but I just think I think it is an interesting tie. If you want to hear some more analysis on the Marine, the way Marines think, you know, we, we talked about that with Stormship Tro- Starship Troopers a couple weeks ago. I think it's interesting um, the depiction of Jessup is not wanting any oversight on the way he runs his unit, um, which I think speaks to the larger issues of the military not wanting civilian oversight. Yeah, uh, and this has been a huge issue. Um, you know. With you know, rape has been a, an issue in the military forever, but uh, especially with <clears throat> the advent of women serving in the armed forces, it's become even more of a, a problem. And um, the military does not want civilian oversight of this, and they fucking need it because they have not handled it themselves. And it's disgusting and it's sad. And um, I, I think Invisible War is the name of uh, the documentary I'm thinking of. There are some really great documentaries about uh, sexual assault. Um, in the the military. But I think this, you know, this very easily could have been a film about sexual assault in the military. They chose to make it about hazing. Um, but I, I think it is interesting, this depiction of, 
you know, Jessup as no one's going to tell us how to run this unit. You know, we're going to keep this in house. Uh, and sometimes things cannot be taken. You need an outside observer. Well, otherwise, you develop a god complex like Jessup does. I mean, yeah. he definitely has that. Like, no one can mess with us. No one can mess with me. Yeah. yeah. You know, I run my unit. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. And there, there's there's no need for oversight. You want me to do my job? You know, it's like don't quote. tell. Don't uh, sleep under the blanket of my uh, of, of freedom that I provide you, and then question how I provided right. it. Right. Yeah. No, I am going to question how you provided it, and I think. This speaks to the larger issue, and in 1994 was a bigger issue. But the the mili- the the role of the military in peacetime, um, w- which you know, uh, having a standing military isn't inherently a bad thing. But there is something to be said. And Tom Cruise points out this: he's like, you know, you're not taking a hill; you're guarding Cuba, and it's not like Cuba's going to do anything. This is 1994 Cuba. I mean, the Cold War isn't that far ago, but it's over at this point, even when Sorkin wrote the play. So it's like, let's let's not act like Cuba's actually going to try to invade Gitmo. Like, I will say, seeing depiction of pre-9-11 Gitmo is kind of interesting. I thought so. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's something we forget. Guantanamo Bay has been around for much longer than uh, it's been a, na- a name in the news. Yeah, very good, gentlemen. I, I, I kind of agree. I, I like kind of that there's this light shed on a uh, an institution that's typically kind of hero worshipped. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that and the, kind of bringing out those that there are problems, there are flaws, and and that's not to dishonor anybody that has served because I have family members as well. Uh, but I think it's a fascinating look, and it's always important. I kind of think to see and remind ourselves that these people are still human, and there are flaws yeah. there. So I well, like that. I, I, Arthur, you make a good point. I don't I, I don't want anybody to feel like we are going to get critical. Uh, there's no two ways about yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah. I don't I don't want anybody to. Uh, be disparaged by that because that's not what we're trying to do. Um, but any all institutions have problems, and I think that's the point that this film's getting at. I think that's probably what we're going to be getting at this evening as we talk. Yeah. Uh, another thing I want to bring up uh, ne- the next question I have uh, at the beginning of the film, we're going to talk a little bit about Joanne's character here, okay. um, played by Demi Moore. At the beginning of the film, Joe is uh, kind of portrayed to be this kind of strong, stubborn female, and I think it plays similarly to uh, Clarice in Silence of the Lambs, who's uh, you got this female trying to make her way and make a name and prove herself in this world of men. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's surrounded by. Uh, do you feel like the narrative allows this to properly play out, or do you feel like her legs are cut out from under her uh, throughout the narrative? Oh, her legs. Yeah, no. Yeah, th- she, this is Tom she, Cruise's movie. Yeah. As soon as he shows up, he starts making all sorts. I mean, it, it, and the movie's actually kind of clever in how it demeans her because it starts off, she's the main, and then she meets Tom Cruise, then he's the, he's the main guy, and he like starts poking jabs at her and t- slowly robs her of credibility and authority, right? As, yeah. the, as like yeah. the main character. Uh, by the end of the movie, she just she she says, "I just want you to think I'm a good lawyer." And it really does kind of rub me the wrong way. Yeah. Like, and she's like, no, you're a better lawyer than I am. That's why you need to be in the courtroom. Yeah. And it's like, Jesus Christ, come on. And I, I don't like, she's the one that makes the mistake in the, in the court. Yeah. I don't like, I strenuously she's object. And yeah. it's, every, every, she's the one that makes a mistake. And, and it makes sense for that character yeah. to be the one that makes a mistake because she's very passionate about it. Yeah. And she's the one that lights the fire uh, because Kevin Pollack doesn't even want to be on this case. Uh, he thinks they should go to jail. Yeah. Um, Tom Cruise doesn't want to be in a courtroom because he's living in the shadow of his father, which, again, is kind of a rote and trite, cliche character motivation. So it does make sense for her to be the passionate one. It makes sense for the passionate one to be the one that makes mistakes in the heat of their passion. But, I, I yeah, Arthur, I think you, you worded it very well. It does kind of cut the legs off uh, uh, her character from out, out from underneath her and just kind of robs her of... Uh, her, her her passion robs her of her credibility, and I yeah. think that's a mistake on part of the film. Yeah, I think she's miscast a little bit too. Really? Demi, okay. Demi Moore never quite feels comfortable. Yeah, yeah, she's not bad, but I never. She's good. She's she's a little stilted. Okay. Yeah, uh, I think her character might have Asperger's. 
What? <laughs> she just doesn't know how to talk to people. And I, I know it's it's not an I I under. I mean, I, I don't want to make a habit out of uh, trying to diagnose uh, characters in films when they're not yeah. explicitly given a diagnosis. Yeah. And I don't know if it's her performance or the way Sorkin writes her, but she just she she's like the one that's proud to be in the military and doesn't seem to have an understanding of why of of how th- people are supposed to behave. Yeah, uh, how human beings in general are supposed to behave, or how people are supposed to behave in a courtroom, or how people in the military are supposed to behave. It's just. It's just strange. Her character is very strange to me. I don't know if that's yeah. a writing problem or because again, I, I I've seen the the play before, but it's been a long time, uh, so I don't know if it's a writing problem or a, or a performance problem. But it it just something's weird. Did anybody else p- put a finer point on this than me? I think you're right. I th- it, it is hard because I, I I don't know if it is in the writing or if it's in her performance because that that's what kind of I was thinking writing when Kayla was bringing it up, mm-hmm. kind of that that forced kind of performance it, it's weird i i don't have a problem with her playing the role but it doesn't seem i don't know she just kind of comes across just mean-spirited a lot of the time it's a you thankless know. role yeah either way she's yeah. under she's underwritten she's very necessary for the plot but again as a, an actual character like you said either she is really out of touch with social you know intelligence she's or yeah. either she doesn't Either she doesn't have social intelligence, or Sorkin, or Sorkin just really didn't know what to do with her after because they needed her in the beginning. Yeah. She's crucial for the first third of the movie. Well, she's yeah. the one that makes this. A, she a makes case. this happen in a case. Yeah. But after that, it's like he didn't really know what to do with her. So it, it just gets a little weird. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I know I'm not really leading this. This charade, uh, this, I'm not really leading this shindig, but what do you guys? I mean, I guess one question I throw out yeah, there. Go is ahead. Just, yeah, go ahead. Uh, what do you guys think of of Sorkin as an auteur? It's really weird because he's not a director, but his movies are so strongly. Aaron Sorkin, it doesn't matter. I mean, unless you really have a st- really strong director, like even a... Even Social Network. Fincher is a very strong director, and I think even... S- Sorkin comes through strongly Sor- there. Sorkin yeah. still yeah. shines through. I think visually it's it's very much... Yes. And I think I think the themes of that film just happen to line up with Fincher's themes that he likes to work yeah. within. Yeah. Uh, but it feels very... Now, I haven't seen Steve Jobs yet. Which I mean, is a very... It's, it's almost... Does that play more too, Sorkin than Danny yeah. Boyle? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Very yeah. much more. It's way more... Sorkin than Danny Boyle by a long shot. I think what we look at with Sorkin, we look at his early career. I mean, this is his first movie with A Few Good Men. Yeah. I mean, it gets, it gets, the rights get bought right before the play even goes live. Yeah, it hadn't even opened yet. Yeah. And so, I mean, we still have a very young screenwriter who I don't think has the clout or pool to kind of make any more influence. So I think we probably have a strong collaboration between him and Reiner here. This this feels the most, I mean, again, while it still feels like a Sorkin movie, it feels like the least Sorkin movie of Sorkin's movies. It does. It's a product of its times. And And I think we see this again with The American President, which still has a lot of those same things going Although, on. Although uh, the advice of the galactically stupid, uh, opinions or advice that the galactically stupid is a Sorkin line yeah. if there ever was one. Yeah, uh, and we, I mean, the the you can't handle the truth. That was a Spielberg thing. Made that suggestion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want me on this wall? You need me on this wall. Uh, was something that was kind of the you need me on the wall was added by Nicholson, even Nicholson and Reiner. Yeah, um, and so and there were some even rewrites that were done, which Sorkin later took and. Uh, added to the actual uh, stage play. Yeah, he revised his his stage play. Yeah, uh, to include those uh, rewrites. Um, but I think when you see something like Social Network and even Moneyball, I think it's a very reined-in collaboration mm-hmm. between Fincher, between Miller and Sorkin, who are both able to work very well Well, in Moneyball, he's writing with uh, Zalian, Steve yeah. Zalian, so it's not just his script. Yeah. But yeah, I think Moneyball, Moneyball's got some... Uh, very kind of Sorkinisms, yeah, exactly. But yeah. it doesn't feel; it is more reined yeah. in. 
And so I, I think if you look at it, all that, and then it compared, especially compared with Steve Jobs, which is dialogue. I mean, Boyle's there to kind of key things together, I think, but it, it very much feels like Sorkin's picture. Boyle's a point-and-shoot director yeah. in that movie. Uh, I, I really feel in the latter part of his career, probably since Charlie Wilson's War, Sorkin has kind of moved into that auteur position, which we don't see often with writers, unless it's a writer-director such as Tarantino mm-hmm. or Kubrick. You it's know? just so unusual because, like you said, even the ones who are writers are also directors. Sorkin is like the only writer, established writer, where you, when you're watching, you're like, this, this is this guy's movie. Yeah, and there's, it, there's only one, flaw, uh, the only one other one I would think of, and, and we could probably argue this and we won't, but uh, I would almost argue Simon Pegg is the auteur in, in the, the Cornetto trilogy insofar as the writing and his influence there and his appearance on screen. Um, I I'd think say he has he's a lot of influence one, there. I, I would say he's one of the auteurs. Yeah. Him, him and Not Edgar, to discount Wright at all. Yeah, because him and Wright are writing the screenplay. Yeah. But you're just trying to think of another example of a, yeah, of where a the writer screen, has... The, the screenplay writer who didn't direct is also very much a voice. Yeah. I, yeah, I, there's... I, I would like... If anybody can think of more examples of that, I'd love to hear them. Oh, yeah, I guess certainly. you could say Dalton Trumbo, um, since he's got a biopic out right yeah. now. But even again, I mean, well based off the movie you know a lot of his later work outside of spartacus mm-hmm. and um the movie he did for preminger i can't think of the title uh all that was just like you know b movie schlocky stuff where he was just doctoring scripts and kind of sending it off and okay. so you know but yeah i mean again trumbo's early work probably would fit in there as well because yeah. uh, there were those revisited themes of uh americanism and and what it is to be a citizen and stuff and so i think that'd probably be a good ex- early example of this yeah, listeners, uh, you have any fee- any thoughts? Go ahead and post it on the good yeah, trash yeah. wall because are there any are there any other auteur writers that we're missing out on? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely writers that have themes they they continually address, but writers who don't also direct that you know you can feel their handprints on a film where it it feels like when last week I don't think we described this as a Reiner film. We described it as a Sorkin. Yeah. Film. Um, and I can't think of very many writers I would think of them before I thought of the director. Yeah. And I think, and that's probably a cultural shift because Sorkin Reiner's an actor more now than he is a director. I mean, that's he still true. makes a few movies, but I I know yeah. him more from uh, The Wolf of Wall Street and New Girl than I do you oh, know, his God, movies. God, he is so much fun as Leo's uh, dad in yeah. Wall oh, Street. Oh, he's a blast. He's a blast. Yeah. He's, I, I love well, Rob Reiner's an actor. Reiner's actor. Before he was a director, wasn't he? Man, Am I, I wrong? Don't I don't know. Uh, but again, we've come to a point where I think, as a filmmaking standpoint, I think Sorkin's more well-known in the the uh, general consensus than uh, Reiner, maybe. Um, one last, qu- I'm going to pose one last question. We're going to deal with this. We'll see how it goes. Um, but we're going to talk about Jack Nicholson a little bit because I like Jack, and that's what this whole month's about. So let's talk a little bit about Jack Nicholson. Jackie boy. Um, I think here Nicholson kind of gives a more reserved uh, performance as Jessup until the, the final scene where he kind of comes out a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nicholson receives a lot of remarks and some criticism about playing the same character over and that, that Jack persona that he you know, exhibits a lot and that we've kind of known for specifically with Joker probably is where in the shining with the kind of the two examples there. Mm-hmm. Um, first, there are a few parts to this question. Uh, first, do you think uh, that's the case in all of his roles? You know, is there, why has this kind of become the thing that that Jack persona do you, in the second, do you think it's a legit criticism uh, considering that movie stars of a bygone era did the same thing? And how do you feel this plays uh, with the notion of the death of the movie star as it was once known? I say that because we don't have a lot of actors who we quote unquote movie stars outside of maybe Denzel Washington and George Clooney. A lot of actors now kind of play different types. They take different roles. But when we're dealing with a past style and a past era where, I mean, 
Bogart was Bogart. Yeah, the, the, you're going to see a Humphrey Bogart yeah. movie. Yeah, it didn't matter what the movie was. was Humphrey Bogart as blank. Yeah, Gregory Clark Peck Gable. as right. Jimmy Stewart. Clark Gable, yeah. yeah. Right. And I'd, and ar- I'd argue that Clooney doesn't even have that point anymore, because if you go look at Tomorrowland, that movie did not rake in buku dollars at the box no. office. But I, I get what you're saying, Arthur. You're, you're going to see that particular... You know, in the 40s, 50s, and early 60s, you were going to see that actor yeah. perform in that movie. You you yeah. knew what that actor was going to do. Yeah, I'd even argue all the way up to the 90s. I don't think we see the shift into this like more brand centered marketing until like at least the early, uh, late late 90s, early 2000s before it shifts to you know where you're going for the brand less of the actor. It well, used no, no, to no. Be. What what Arthur is getting at though is not not going to see the actor's brand. You're going to see that actor because you know how they will act. He's talking yeah. about act movie stars versus actors. Yeah. Okay. I go okay. see a Denzel movie because it's Denzel and yeah. Denzel is playing Denzel as a cop. Yes. He's playing Denzel okay. as a coach. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Playing Denzel as a pilot. Okay. You and, don't yeah. which I don't want to you know, that's not to say Denzel's not a great oh, actor. Oh, no, he's a phenomenal actor. He's a fabulous actor. I love actor. Denzel Washington. But he, he, sometimes you show up to see him play Denzel. Yeah. Exactly. You you see, you go to see Book of Eli to see Denzel whoop ass. Yeah. You see Man on Fire to see Denzel whoop ass. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying. And and I think that's you're right. That's not really that true anymore. You used to go see Jack Nicholson, though, to fall in love with Helen Hunt. Yeah. Um, or... Um, Diane Keaton, whatever the case may be, and I think I think that's more true. Of, I, I wonder if that has anything to do with where Nicholson's career is, because Nicholson is you know cutting his teeth in late sixties Hollywood, but gets his big break during the new Hollywood. Um, you know, really, and has a small role in one of the defining films of the new Hollywood, which is Easy Rider, um, where he is playing very different from the kind of characters he would go on to play. Um, and I wonder if that has anything to do with it. I think it might, Arthur. I, I think it really might. Um, it's a, it's a good question, though. Um, I I don't know if it's an entirely valid criticism. Uh, there are def. I think Jack Nicholson's personality definitely shines through in a yeah. lot of his roles. Yeah. But I I think even in this, he is playing Marine Colonel Jessup. Yeah. And in Batman last week, he is playing the Joker. In a film we're going to talk about next week, he is playing very much a character. Yeah. And I think what, while there might be some true set criticism, I think specifically of, um, you know, as good as it gets is when I really think of where he's, he's Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Um, Something's got to give. Yeah. No. In those romantic comedies that he, he did. Um, Anger management, I think, would Anger come up management, as well. he's very Jack Nicholson-y. But he was, he's so much fun. Oh, no, he is. Yeah. He is. He's, he's, he's a blast. He's, 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 he's always fun. I, I think what yeah. you're speaking to, though, is interesting, this idea that the criticism of Jack Nicholson is not really acting ever. When, when, when did Jack Nicholson stop acting, right? Yeah. And just start being Jack Nicholson. And, and, it's, not, and it's not just Jack. I mean, there are a handful. I mentioned Denzel. But, Morgan I mean, Freeman's doing it right now. Robert De Niro's yeah. doing it I'd right now. I'd even say somebody like Jesse Eisenberg has kind of fallen into that. And you have to see what he does with Lex Luthor. Because, I mean, he plays looks different from what he normally does. But, I mean, there are only a handful of actors left that play that same type each time. Well, and I wonder how much same. of it is typecasting versus how much of it is only taking roles that suit your personality. Uh, again, versus typecasting, which, you know, you get offered scripts that, because um, people want to, you know, they're yeah. like, oh, well, we're looking for a Jack Nicholson type. Well, we've got the money. Why don't we just get Jack Nicholson? Yeah. We're looking for a Denzel type. We've got the money. Why don't we just get Denzel? Well, or, and, and, and again, I, I mean, I do think the, the, the way movies are, sh- like the, the way the model has shifted is there studios are moving more and more away from movie stars as the focus. They don't really care who's in the role as long as it's a name that people recognize 
it doesn't really have to be a big name. It just needs to be someone people recognize because, again, it's more about the brand. From a studio perspective, they're more interested in the brand, so they don't really care who shows up to play Joey Schmo role as long as they're playing a role that people recognize. I think that's fair, Caleb. Um, yeah, I, I really like Jack Nicholson as a performer. I like him in this performance a lot. I would say, yeah, it is a toned-down Nicholson. He's, you know, it's not turned up to 11. Yeah. Uh, I think the only times you really see him, I think next week's film, which I don't want to give away just yet, is a film where we see Nicholson pretty much turned all the way up. Uh, I think Batman is a film where you see him turned all the way up. Definitely. I think The Shining is a film yeah. where you see him all the way turned up. But, you know, something like Easy Rider or Chinatown, I mean... That, that's a great example, actually. Just look at Chinatown. He or one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, yes, you can see the, the Jack Nicholson traits in there, but they're both. I mean, I, if you just compare one flew over the cuckoo's nest and Chinatown, they're very different performances. Yeah. So I don't. I don't think. I think as he's gotten older, he he's definitely picky about the roles he takes, and he's not going to take any. He's he's rich, and he doesn't have to work any harder yeah. than he wants to. That's something he's not passionate about. He's going to phone it in. Yeah. He's, he's got enough money to make it to all those Lakers games, so yeah. he's good. Thanks, Batman. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. Well, all right, gentlemen. I think we did a good job there unpacking um, a few good men and having a good discussion there, and so thank you so much for that. And it's time uh, for us to move on, and we must do what we always do. We must render a verdict. Shelf or trash... Elsa instead, I ask you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you think? Yeah, I, I say trash it. Um, this movie is on USA like every fucking day. You don't need to own this movie. Or TNT. <laughs> I mean, this is on... No, yeah, it is. This film, I realized when I sat down to watch A Few Good Men, I think it's the first time I've ever sat down, watched the movie from start to finish, didn't get up, didn't have commercial breaks. And that's not even true because I watched it on Crackle, so there were still commercial <laughs> yeah. breaks. You don't need to own this movie. You will see this film if you watch TV long enough uh, because it's just it's on TV all the damn time because it's 20 years old and it's pretty cheap to license. And, and I don't think it's an essential film. There's better films that question the military. There's better courtroom dramas. There's better Jack Nicholson movies. There's better Demi Moore movies. There's better Kevin Bacon movies. There's better Tom Cruise movies. There's better Kevin Pollack movies. Everybody involved in... There's better Rob Reiner movies. Everybody involved in this film has done better work. Yeah. Um, and there's this movie's got issues that are addressed better in other films. So I, 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 I'm going to trash it. I don't hate this film. I like this film a lot, but I don't think you need to own it, and I don't think you need to go out of your way to see it if you never have. Um, you know, you, you want to, you could probably watch the whole courtroom scene on YouTube, and that's really what you yeah. want. You, you want from the second Nicholson sits down, uh, and there's, you don't really need the context for what's going on. Yeah. It helps, uh, for sure. And again, as I said, I think that scene is really powerful within the context of this film, but that doesn't make it a crucial and essential film. Uh, I think instead you should watch uh, The Social Network, uh, which is another Aaron Sorkin pinned film. Um, oh shit, no, I can't actually suggest that, listener, um, because I have the Fincher rule imposed upon me, so I'm not allowed to recommend films directed You've by been, David Fincher. You've been Fincher ruled, sir. It uh, hasn't happened in a while. I know. Uh, so you can take a drink if you're keeping track. <laughs> That's the first time it's happened in a while, unless... Yeah. You know, except when we talk about a Fincher movie, and I'm yeah. giving license. Yeah, to cheat. yeah, yeah. We see you had Gone Girl two or three weeks ago, and you're like, ah, I want to see if these got to let me th- let, let it through. He got, a, he got a little taste of that Fincher oh, drug and needs a little more. I can't quit. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I, I fell off the wagon. I can't get back <laughs> on. Um, yeah, uh, okay. So I won't recommend that. Instead, I will recommend um, The West Wing, which is uh, a series. I, you know, I've, I've only seen probably the first two and a half seasons of The West Wing, but I really like it a lot, and I think 
one Sorkin did something which I don't know if anyone has ever done, which is he wrote the first four seasons of every. He is credited on wow. every single episode of The West Wing, and those are twenty full twenty plus episode seasons. Too. They're twenty two yeah. episodes, and this is the late nineties before a one hour show was only forty three minutes. Yeah, these are like forty eight minute episodes, and they're twenty two episodes a season. Wow. It's astonishing. The yeah. man was doing a lot of cocaine, and he says he was. Yeah, uh, according to him, I, I believe he was starting to get off the candy. Uh, when he was working on um, on the show. Um, but that's what I would recommend. I think it's better Sorkin, and I think it has a conversation with America and what America is says it's about versus what it actually does. I think it, it both... Uh, it, it, it writes a love letter to American politics while skewering it yeah. in a way that I think A Few Good Men doesn't, and I think it's more interesting. Uh, Tom Cruise is really good here, and I think this is a really great performance, but... Uh, you know, there's better. I would go check out Magnolia instead if you really yeah. want Tom Cruise yeah. acting, not yeah. just running from explosions. Uh, when Tom Cruise puts, Tom Cruise is a hardworking actor. I'm not going to take that away from him, but he is a movie star. I think he does definitely fit into that. You go to see a Tom Cruise movie, not to see Tom Cruise play an, an actual character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think in Magnolia, he plays a real character that's really nuanced and um, is very interesting. Um, yeah, th- those are what I would recommend. Jack Nicholson. Yeah, Chinatown, uh, or if you want to see him go really big, I would say Batman from last week. Oh, yeah. Um, if you really want to see that, that Nicholson performance turned up to 11. Although, I do really like him as Colonel Jessup. Yeah. I do. Oh, yeah. But it's just no, not an great. essential film, and I think there's better films to watch. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm going to give this one seven uh, baseball bats in closets giving you the epiphany you need to, to crack the case wide open out of a possible uh, 11. Yeah, he does think better with his bat. Mr. Caleb Masters, I ask you, shelf or trash, else or instead, what do you say? Yeah, I've got to say trash it. I mean, for a few reasons. I think it's a solid movie, but as Dalton said, there's every talent involved in this movie has probably done something much better. Yeah. Uh, better, even some more types of roles. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they perfected the ideas, laid groundwork here. Uh, yeah, so... And honestly, this type of military courtroom drama, while I love really strong writing, and I actually like courtroom dramas a fair amount, this movie just didn't. I, I got bored. wasn't my cup of tea. I don't really? know. If, I don't know if it was if it was the premise or or what. I I really just was disinterested in saying I don't really even care. This is just not a subject matter I'm interested yeah. in. Despite the fact that I actually like courtroom dramas yeah. and, and things like that, I, I, it must be. So I'm not sure if it's related to military or I just kind of lost interest. Um, else, you know, if we're going to go with an absolute classic essential thing about courtroom dramas, you have to go with 12 Angry Men. Come on. Come on now. Classic. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's a great courtroom drama from about the same time period. What? Is uh, A Time to Kill with Matthew McConaughey and Sam Jackson. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a really good one. Well, what do you think should happen to them? What would be a fair sentence? Objection, do you think they Honor. deserve to die, Mr. Hilly? Answer the question. Carly, do don't deserve to die. Yes, don't. they deserve to die. And I hope they burn in hell. At any possible opportunity, I'd like to uh, praise and recommend Minority Report, which is another movie which Tom Cruise does act. Uh, I think it's for him. It is kind of like kind of a mix because he does do the Tom Cruise movie star yeah. action set piece, yeah. but he's actually given some really media material and a strong direction from Steven Spielberg to really flex his acting muscles in a way that I don't think any of his movie star yeah. roles do. Um, while while noting Steven Spielberg, I have to mention earlier this year one of this year's earlier movies that I think flew under a lot of people's radar, uh, Bridge of Spies. Uh, there is quite a lot set in courtroom, in the courtrooms, and just seeing people sitting down talking to each other about how they're going to handle this case. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that in, in, in Bridge of Spies, and I definitely think it's a movie that didn't get quite the buzz it deserves, so I hope people go check that out. And lastly, it's December, guys. 
I generally hate Christmas, but I have to throw a Christmas. <laughs> I have to throw a Christmas recommendation. I have to go for it. Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, courtroom drama of Christmas, <laughs> and done. Well, there you go. Oh, and my rating is eight uh, eight code reds out of a possible twelve. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Master. What I would like to say is I, I have to agree. I, I do like this movie a lot, but I think it's trash. I don't think you need to go out and watch this. It's not essential like Dalton mentioned, and so I can agree with all those things. I do enjoy it a lot, and like Dalton said, check out the courtroom scene on YouTube. I'm sure you can find it easily there. Yeah, it's definitely – I think it fits the criteria we have on the show of not being discussed in a film studies course. Yeah. It's disposable middle-brow, hey, mid-'90s. Yeah film yeah it's a very much a product of his time as i think uh instead i would say you go watch silence of the lambs and jody foster and anthony hopkins uh, i think it does uh, some similar things uh, as far as uh, women in the workforce and stuff and i think it carries that theme throughout a little better and i it's just a great movie and also dalton mentioned movies pointing out the, the american military and government in kind of a negative light go watch zero dark 30 yeah uh, oh jesus uh catherine bigelow zero dark 30 is a great movie it's a fantastic powerful movie uh, just check that out because it'll it'll open your eyes, um, and so check both of those out. And just oh, while we're here, um, off the top of my head, uh, lawyers, actors playing against type, Matthew McConaughey in the Lincoln Lawyer, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> I, check that one out. Man, that was kind of the start of the McConaissance. Yeah, it was. I, I like saw that at a matinee, and I, guys, I don't remember a damn thing about that movie. I remember Ryan Felipe in it, and I remember he's in a. He, he offices out of a Lincoln. Guys, That's all I remember. I just, I just, I, I, I've been driving a Lincoln since before. <laughs> I drove a Lincoln before anybody paid me to. I just, I just like the way it made me feel. I just really want to see Russ Cole be a lawyer in a movie somewhere. It'd be great. <laughs> well, dear listener, what do you think? Is this a shuffleable film? Do you agree with us? Do you hate a few good men? Please let us know because we love to have that conversation with you and we love to hear from you. Uh, one of the ways you can do that is by connecting with us on Facebook. You can go to facebook.com uh, for slash good trash genre cast like our page uh, participate in the discussions we're always posting things uh, almost daily we try to keep that up updated uh, with our games and just different posts and different things about the movies and that we're doing and uh, so we just really enjoy that conversation uh, there with you. So just go over there, like that page. Uh, you could also connect with us on Google Plus if you use that social medium. Uh, then definitely connect with us there. Also, you can email us goodtrashgenrecast at gmail dot com. We really love to hear that. We had a great uh, email last week on our Batman episode. It was a lot of fun, uh, and so again, we're thankful for that. And so we would like to get more of that insight from you guys because we love to talk to you and we love to hear you. That's why we do this. Um, you know, I think you know, I think there's one other. A medium of social media that we can be reached by dalton do you do you know anything about that one arthur i host my podcast how i host my podcast you want to investigate me roll the dice and take your chances i post my show three hyperlinks away from four thousand imdb commenters <laughs> who think shawshank redemption is the best movie ever made so don't think for one second you come down here flash a badge and make me nervous i didn't say anything about twitter in that did i no well so can you find us on Twitter? You can find us on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> we're, uh, we're on Twitter at good underscore trash. And do we have any feedback coming in this week, Mr. Dalton Stewart? Uh, Alex, uh, who is not here with us this this evening, uh, did want to point out uh, something that happened that she was very amused by. It uh, took place, uh, I want to say, on our Gone Girl episode, actually. Uh, quote, get that finger in your butt if you love to live your life. <laughs> At Dalton Stewart, uh, or at Dalstu, discussing getting checked for uh, testicular cancer on <laughs> at Good Trash, which I was talking about prostate cancer, yeah. actually. But yes, yeah. that is a thing I said. I, I'm not 100% sure it made it to air. I think it did, though. Uh, that is definitely a thing I said, though. We did get a, um, a follow Friday from the OKC Film Club. Awesome. So thank you very much for that. I don't know if we... 
know anybody affiliated with that actually i think i, I think we've kind of been networking just through yeah. social I, I know we followed them uh, on believe, podbean and we kind of liked them there yeah well, I, I believe one of the guys who runs the podcast eric king is actually a regular listener that's uh, what oh, cool. eric king is a regular oh listener. yeah yeah definitely yeah okay is eric i didn't yeah. know eric was part of the okc film club oh, yeah, okay he runs yeah the, he runs the podcast awesome okay that okay, makes cool. sense yeah all right well, cool hey thanks eric uh we we did really appreciate that um we got mentioned with some other pretty cool movies in there. I think Back to the Movies was mentioned in there, too. Uh, yes, Back to the Movies was also yeah. Rock mentioned. and Roll. And Appreciate uh, that. noted sellout Nick Sanford was also mentioned <laughs> in that Favorite Friday or Follow Friday. So that, that's nice. Uh, we do really appreciate that. Um, you know, the more people that listen to this, the better. That's why we do it. I mean, we'll keep recording if nobody's listening, yeah. but it definitely helps that people are listening. So Yeah, it's fun. That makes it more fun. Yeah, definitely. Also, as always, you can uh, find us on iTunes. Please go rate review subscribe over there it helps us out tremendously uh, to get those reviews and those ratings and we love that you could also uh, connect with us on good trash genrecast.podbean.com yeah, my, my dream is that we get enough uh traction on itunes that uh we're on uh more like this if you go to the the, uh, the film spotting oh, yeah. page and we'll be under there on more like yeah. this that... I, will, I will screenshot that and hang it on my wall yeah that'd absolutely have, yeah hey, that'd be a great moment it could happen it could hey you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll get there, boys. Uh, also, you can also you can always connect with us on Stitcher Internet Radio if you use that as well. So thank you so much for that great feedback, dear listener. But gentlemen, as I look at my watch, I see that it is time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. That's right, dear listener. And this week's game is our favorite or best Aaron Sorkin moments slash movies. That's right. Favorite Aaron Sorkin movies slash moments. Brought to you by A Few Good Men. A Few Good Men. It was written by Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> I don't think this game needs much more explanation. That's valid. That's valid. All right, gentlemen. Well, it's a, it sounds like a line from an Aaron Sorkin movie, actually. <laughs> it does, actually. Yeah. Go ahead, Caleb. I don't want to. I was getting about to shoehorn in. Caleb, I know you actually picked out some specific moments. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's got. He, he only has a handful of films, so I didn't want to limit it to like seven movies for us to all talk about. And I, I, I honestly don't think all of them are great movies, per se, either. That's true. Um, so I, I, I wanted to go ahead and narrow it down to scenes. And uh, more re- most recently, his. his uh, one of his most recent projects in TV was the newsroom, and uh, there's a there are a lot of really brilliant moments in the newsroom, a lot of bri- really brilliant speeches, monologues, all that stuff. Uh, but like you know, most Aaron Sorkin things, it's like that when the when it's doing what it sets out to do, it's like the most brilliant writing you've ever seen on TV. But then you have like the other like forty to fifty to sixty percent of the time where it's not doing that, and you're like, oh, this is really weird and not feels really uh, unnatural. However, I think one scene that caps- encapsulates and sells the show to new viewers is the opening scene uh, where Will McAvoy talks about why America isn't the greatest country in the world anymore. Uh, anyway, I-, I just think that's a great scene. I highly recommend the show. It has its ups and its downs, but man, it delivered a really great, great third final se- third and final season. I, I kind of wish they had been at that level the entire time because it was... Some really powerful moving stuff, uh, you know. And, and uh, to kind of to kind of hurry things along, though, I also uh, had to pick out uh, one scene from The Social Network, which is, in my opinion, probably the best Aaron Sorkin movie we've seen so far. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of really powerful, really great scenes. That are, uh, some of them are funny, a lot of funny, actually. That's a really, it's a really kind of darkly 
hilarious movie. Yeah. Uh, but the scene that was most moving to me was the, the the confrontation between Eduardo and Zuckerberg at the end of the movie, where you see this. The oh, enti- yeah. the entire yeah. film is this culminating of, the, of, the, of this rift and distrust in the relationship, and they they keep trying to like convince each other they're on the same side, even though they're not, yeah. and it just all boils down and implodes right there at the end uh, of the film. And uh, probably probably some of the best kind of real legitimate organic feeling character writing I think Sorkin's done because it felt it didn't feel like a mouthpiece at that point you yeah. actually felt what those characters were feeling uh, and I thought it was brilliant and also as a shout out in that movie I have to give it to any scene with Justin Timberlake as Sean Parker holy crap that guy should have gotten an Oscar no, nomination yeah, he kills it. He, that, that, ugh, I couldn't think of a better yeah. match uh, and lastly I have to give it to uh, the monologue from Jonah Hill as Peter Brand uh, his monologue Kind of where it's stating it all. It's all about getting things down to one number in Moneyball, uh, which is really that was the Oscar reel for yeah. Jonah Hill. Yeah, uh, and, and Jonah Hill was great. So uh, yeah, as far as uh, my favorite Aaron Sorkin moments, so that about wraps wraps it up. All right, thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What say you? Well, because uh, Sorkin does have a limited filmography, I am going to cheat uh, and break the Fincher rule and mention the scene in the Social Network where they ask. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, if he's paying attention uh, during the deposition. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he yeah, says, like, I'm getting sued by six different people, uh, and I don't even think this is a legitimate lawsuit. So I'm giving you the bare minimum of my attention. Uh, really, all the, the, that depos- the entirety of that deposition uh, with the Winklevies. <laughs> I love the Winklevi twins. <laughs> the Winklevi twins. The, uh, the Winklevi. Yeah. Uh, the Winklevoss twins. Um, that whole deposition is great, but that moment in particular where he's like, finally, like, let's put his cards on the table and says, this is how I feel. I know I'm going to cut you guys a check for a couple million dollars. We're going to settle out of court. I've got work to do, so can you please fuck off and stop wasting my time? I think it's a great scene. Uh, it's one of my favorite scenes in that movie. Um, uh, it's a film I've been wanting to revisit for a while, but... I, I think that is a great moment that kind of underscores. Again, uh, you know, I don't really know anything about Mark Zuckerberg as a real person, and I don't really care. I know he does a lot of charitable things, and I think that's cool. Um, but the the character of Mark Zuckerberg in the film, The Social Network, I think that scene really kind of sums up what he's about. Um, the, another moment in that same film, and I don't know if this is more of a Sorkin thing or more of a David Fincher thing, um, but the end of the film itself is great yes. and it's not a dialogue moment so yeah. I hope that Aaron Sorkin wrote it because it shows that he knows how to write things that aren't dialogue Yeah, and the film ends with Mark Zuckerberg staring at his own invention Facebook refreshing to see if his ex-girlfriend Rooney Mara has accepted his friend request Yeah, it's and just refreshing the page like yeah. <laughs> you sit on top the uh, you know you, you don't get to 500 million friends without making a few enemies uh, yeah, you don't get to the top of the mountain without alienating everyone underneath you yeah uh, and and just showing the loneliness of you know, the lie of the American dream. Uh, I, I think that's a really great moment um, from television. Uh, one of my favorite moments on the West Wing is the introduction of Martin Sheen as President Bartlett. Uh, basically, comes in and uh, gives everybody both barrels, uh, which is so great. Um, Dustin actually, I believe, has mentioned that moment specifically on the show before. Yeah. But it's it's a great it's a great scene um, where uh, he comes in quoting scripture uh, to the um, anti-gay rights, yeah. um, um, fundamentalist Christians, uh, and basically says, you're, you're wrong. Please leave my house now. Yeah. Uh, it's a great moment and uh, is really powerful and I think really sets the tone of the West Wing that is kind of a, uh, you know, a really is a love letter to the ideals of American politics and the ideals that uh, we can come together 
and, and through hard work and compromise, we can get things done that better uh, the country. And I, I think really Sorkin is a kind of a moderate guy because I think he does believe in compromise, and you know he is a very idealistic. But I think the West Wing shows that um, the importance of admitting to yourself that not everybody is going to agree, and this is a democracy, so we need to try to come up with solutions that are amicable to everyone, even when you think the other side's an idiot, which is most of the time for me. One, one final moment I do want to give a shout-out is um, the char- just the character of Colonel Jessup in A Few Good Men. Yes. I really, uh, he's only got three scenes, but all three of them are the best scenes of the movie. Um, Nicholson is just absolutely robs. He just grabs the movie and runs away with it. Yeah. Um, particular, I actually like the breakfast scene probably as much, maybe even more than the courtroom scene where they have breakfast on base. Oh yeah. Um, and he just like slowly, the anger is building. Like he, yeah. he, he stops indulging everyone after yeah. a little bit. Um, and throws some really hateful language at, uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah, he does. Um, but it's a really it's a scene that shows you the depth of rage and contempt hiding uh, underneath this man's polished veneer. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a really cool scene. And, and obviously the scene in the courtroom uh, is pretty fantastic. His monologue is pretty fantastic. So those yeah. are some of my favorite Aaron Sorkin moments. Arthur, what, what about you? Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I actually, last week after we recorded uh, the Batman show, I watched a few good men and I decided I wanted to watch all of the Sorkin films this week. So I've seen uh, the American president, and uh, Charlie Wilson's War, Social Network, and Moneyball, all after watching A Few Good Men. Mm. And, and you it, saw Steve Jobs trailer recently. Yeah, yeah I saw well, beginning of October, I October, think. October, yeah. yeah. right. Um, and so, so I've seen most of them. There's one Malice that I actually haven't seen, starring Jeff Daniels. Uh, what, one Malice? It's Malice. Oh, it's just Malice. Malice. Yeah, it's the only one I haven't seen. When, when did that come out? Uh, 96? It's 90s. I'm going to hunt that down. Yeah. I like Jeff Daniels, and I like Sorkin. I want to see it. Yeah, so uh, I, I, that's one I failed to find. But my first moment comes from Charlie Wilson's War, actually. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's got a supporting role in there. And just the way he delivers Sorkin's script is just brilliant. And he steals every scene he's in because he's yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. And so he's great. But there's a particular moment, maybe about halfway through the film, where uh, Hoffman's character, Gust, meets Charlie Wilson. Mm-hmm. And there's a great, the way it's put together and the way it's written, there's just this brilliant interaction between the two of them, and there's the subplot kind of happening at the same time. So there's this really fine thread being done between the two characters uh, because Philip Seymour Hoffman has to keep leaving the room, and uh, the secretaries have to keep coming into the room to talk to Charlie. And there's this quick back and forth. They, have to, they leave the room. Hoffman comes in. Hoffman leaves. They come in. And it's just this really quick carousel. That's it's really just brilliant. Fun. And it's just so smooth. And it's, it's a great moment. Um, I thought you were actually named the clip. And uh, I believe we, you know, we played it. Uh, we, we did a tribute oh, to Phil yes, Seymour Hoffman yes. when he passed away. Where he talks about being stuck as the station yeah. chief of like Scandinavia yeah. or something. It's his introduction in the film. And it's brilliant. I mean, again, yeah. it's Hoffman just steals everything. It's great because he... Uh, he essentially goes to his boss and tells him to F himself mm. and he had previously broken his window. And so his boss is having his window replaced and, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman proceeds to break that window again as on his way out. That's funny. out of anger. It's, it's a great moment. And so there are some, there are some shiny moments in Charlie Wilson's war. Check it out if you get a chance. Um, also I would say, uh, we've talked about the social network. I'd be remiss not to bring it up myself, but just the scene, the introductory scene between, uh, Eisenberg and, and Rooney Mara, oh, their so back and good. forth is just brilliant. And it's a great way to establish who Zuckerberg's character is and what mm. he's like and how he interacts with the world in just a brilliant back-and-forth piece, and I, I greatly enjoy that. Um, also, I'd say... <clears throat> They'll to introduce the world to Rooney Mara, which 
we're no, not yeah. getting enough of him. So I wish she was in three movies a year every yeah, year. She's great. She's she's beautiful and she's great. Uh, finally, I just say Moneyball. I love Moneyball, the movie. I, I really do. And I don't know that it's his strongest. It's, it's between that and social network. It really is. Um, but I, I just love Moneyball. It's, again, sports movie. It's in my wheelhouse. I love Brad Pitt. I think him and uh, Jonah Hill are just great together. I think it moves great. Bennett Miller's direction is just wonderful. But the script, it's, it's good. There's a lot of great monologues. Like you mentioned, Jonah Hill's <clears throat> uh, Academy Award reel uh, moment where he's talking mm-hmm. about the numbers. And there's some other It needs more Phil Seymour Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Every movie needs more Phil Seymour Hoffman. He just doesn't get enough to do, and yeah, that movie needs more Hoffman. Yeah, he kind of feels wasted, but he's he's great when he's there. Uh, And so, but overall, you know, if I was going to pick an ultimate thing, I think for me it's Moneyball. I just I I think it's a great not any particular moment, just the film as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the scene you mentioned is great. Jonah Hill. Uh, It's kind of cliche, kind of cliche, but I love the I love the ending where he's showing him the. Uh, the the guy who hits the home run, but he doesn't realize he's hit the home run. He's scared to run to second, and so when he hits, he, he you know starts to go to second. He falls down, mm-hmm. and then he's you know, Jonah Hill's like it's a, it's a metaphor. And Brad Pitt's like I know, yeah, I know what you, I know <laughs> yeah, it's a metaphor. I know. And so I, I like that. And so my favorite moments. moments of that movie is not scripted. It was actually just Jonah Hill where he leaves Brad Pitt's office and goes, "Do you want me to leave this open? Yeah, and close it. <laughs> Such a funny <laughs> moment. And just oh, yeah, I mean, some. Great I need to revisit that two. movie. I I liked it, but didn't love it the first time yeah. I saw it. So I should probably give it another shot. I, I enjoyed it. Nick Sanford uh, talks about that movie. Not like he loves Moneyball. He yeah, one of his favorite movies that year. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think it was my top ten. Uh, and so yeah, th- those were my choices, gentlemen. I think that's a fun game. Aaron Sorkin, uh, though he hasn't done a lot of movies, he has made an impact, especially on TV with the West Wing and Newsroom. So he's he's out there. He's successful. Well, in Studio Sixty on Sunset Strip, Strip, which uh, only lasted a season, but yeah. pretty well loved. And then the the sports one. I don't remember what that was called. Oh yeah, yeah. The show about <clears throat> being it was basically about ESPN. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so, well, there is that, dear listener. Dear listener, what are your favorite Sorkin moments? What are your favorite Sorkin movies? We'd love to hear that and share that on air. But it is time to wrap the show up with our final segment to talk about what we always talk about with what has us fired up this week in pop culture. That's right, dear listener. We're going to let it burn this week as we talk about pop culture. Mr. Caleb Masters, are you fired up this week in pop culture? Oh yeah. What, what's got your One What's thing. got your fire going? One thing. I don't know. I don't care. I don't know if anyone else cares. But Samurai Jack is coming back, and it's going to get concluded. Thank God. <laughs> I have been praying for this announcement for ten years. This show back in two thousand four did not get canceled. It got put on hold indefinitely. And over the last decade, they have fooled us with so many false starts. Like, yeah, it's going to do this movie. Yeah, it's going to do that. Guinea Tarkovsky has been trying to get this movie or this project off the ground literally since 2004. Well, now he's got that uh, Hotel Transylvania 2 money. He can do whatever that's, he wants. That's, that's kind of what's going on. <laughs> he, he tried really hard to pitch it to studios, but the problem is it falls in that low-budget 2D animate. No one wants to make that movie right yeah. now. So he's went, apparently he went back to TV. It's in production. He's confirmed to be a hands-on director. Uh, Samurai Jack I, is one of my favorite cartoons of all time. Uh, it's so good. I watched it a couple years ago to confirm that it's not just nostalgic. That is, It is visual storytelling on a whole new level. Uh, a whole a whole level that most animated features. It's a very dialogue light show. Very, their entire episodes where no one talks. Yeah. I was uh, really, yeah, oh yeah. I, I'm also very excited, Caleb. I I remember being 
over the moon about the show, like just the commercials. Like I was so excited. I was uh, what would have been eleven or twelve when the right. show first aired, uh, and I remember like blocking out the dial. You know, not that I was a busy twelve year old because I was not, but I remember being like, okay, I have to be home at this time, mom and dad. Yeah, because 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 they showed they premiered it as like a, a ninety minute. You know, they showed the first three episodes, right? Which which plays like a little mini movie, uh, and I, I love that show. I mean, I could gush on it all day, but it play it's it plays with genre much in the same way you you see on something like Community. Every mm-hmm. episode plays with genre, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, like a twenty minute short ones. Like a there's one that's actually like parodies like silent films. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's action movies. I mean, they get around the gore by substituting you know humans for yeah. robots, which is kind of clever. Um, but just uh, visual storytelling at its absolute finest. And, and I really Lamar's, uh voice acting is really oh, great, fantastic. And so is uh, Mako. I forget his last name, but Mako. That's yeah. Mako is what everyone calls him. Uh, the very famous Japanese actor who voiced Aku, who passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very sad that he passed away before they re- they gave the show another shot. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. It is sad, but um, regardless, I don't care if it's only for like a 13-episode miniseries. I, I'd like to see them wrap up that story uh, because if you're a kid and you watch this thing and you really, really love, um, you really want to see it com- get completed. And, you know, there, in an era where everything is getting brought back to life and it's getting almost to the point where it's getting annoying, this is this one's really, really special to me in particular, but um, but because it just never got the, the the resolution or the conclusion that was promised, which was laying down if you w- followed the show, actually there was a lot of foreshadowing and setting up of this epic conclusion that never never came to fruition. So very very excited about that. And uh, if you want to watch it, the whole the first four seasons or all four seasons are streaming on Hulu right now. Oh okay, yeah Hulu. Okay, yeah. good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did you not know that? I knew the first season was on Netflix. Yeah, the whole yeah. thing. I think Hulu, Hulu got all the Adult Swim stuff. They got all the Adult Swim. Well, it was on Comedy Central proper, or <laughs> it was on Cartoon Network proper. Uh, yeah, it wasn't an Adult Swim show when it first aired. It will be. Uh, yes, it will now. be. It will be an Adult Swim now. The new series will okay. because they're obviously okay. aiming it at people who are a little older. Well, yeah. yeah, maybe that means we get away with some more violence. So, yeah, I, I think know. they know. Yeah, this is for the people who were are in their mid twenties yeah. now. This is, this is the tsunami generation. This, this is for people who were yeah twelve when Samurai Jack first aired. So yeah. they they know who their audience is. So I'm excited about it too, Caleb. Actually, uh, have been watching Samurai Jack again this last week because of this announcement. So I'm pretty excited about that myself. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, though, just uh, again, Star Wars right around the corner, and we did. Uh, me and Arthur put out a very extended conversation about the Batman versus Superman and Captain America Civil War trailers in our most recent episode of Back to the Movies, uh, where w- movies where we also reviewed Spotlight. So definitely check that out. And the three of us just uh, got done recording an epi- uh, a discussion on Creed that should be live uh, by now. So if you really like yourself some Rocky or want to hear us do talk boxing, go check that out. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up this week in pop culture? Uh, not really. A little bit. One good, one bad. Much like Caleb, I'm very thrilled about Star Wars being right around the corner this weekend. Uh, with friend of the show Nick Sanford and another friend of mine Andrew McDonald, uh, sat down and watched the original trilogy. Um, first time I had watched the original trilogy start to finish, um, you know, in less than you know six months' time. Yeah, since I was probably like fourteen years old, it, it, it's impossible to not get wrapped up in in the adventure. And I think part of the problem with uh, Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope is that it is kind of slow for the first act, the entire first act, and doesn't really get going until Act Two. Um, but I, I think uh, Empire and Jedi are both a blast. Jedi's got some some of those same pacing issues, but I think they they all work so well together, and I, I continue to be excited about that. Uh, fired up in a bad way. MSNBC this week uh, decided it'd be a good idea to send a reporter uh, into the home of I'm not going to say his name because fuck that um, doesn't need any more attention than he's getting already. Uh, but of the the living suspect, uh, well the the, the home of the two suspects. 
uh, one of whom is dead, uh, who shot up the uh, social services center in uh, San Bernardino, California. MSNBC and CNN thought it would be a great idea to send a reporter in there and just, you know, like, show his driver's license and the social security card on live television. That's a thing that happened, guys. Uh, did anybody else not... Does anybody remember Nightcrawler? It came out last year. That's a thing that happens in that movie. And we're all... The whole point of that movie... That whole point of that scene is, wow, look how unethical Jake Gyllenhaal is. He went into a crime scene uh, to get news footage uh, while it was still being processed uh, and without permission of the homeowners. Just went in and filmed their house. What the fuck, MSNBC? What the fuck, CNN? Anderson Cooper actually on air said... Uh, okay, I, I I guess we're doing this now. Like he is stunned that it's happening. It's fucked up, man. I'm still mad about it, and um, I just went ahead out of curiosity. I I googled uh before we started recording MSNBC to see you know, and then just click Google's news link to see if that was nope. Everybody's already forgotten about it. Nobody cares. The news cycle has <laughs> moved on. That's uh, twenty four hour new, uh, yeah. twenty four hour cable news for you, and that's why they did it because it's all about making sure people are watching your station. Um, I, I hope anybody who was watching CNN when that happened turned their TVs off. Yeah, cable news has destroyed journalism, and um, that's all I have to say about that. I'm just going to keep swearing and ranting if I talk about it any longer. <laughs> it's very upsetting, <laughs> rightfully so. It's very, very upsetting. Uh, Arthur, what about you, buddy? What are you fired up about this week in pop culture? Well, the days of Cronkite and Murrow are gone, I believe. So uh, I am going to talk about I am fired up a little bit. I, I should have mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I finally caught up with a couple of movies I had been meaning to see from earlier in this year, uh, which are probably going to wind up making my top ten list uh, come uh, December, January, whenever that happens. Uh, but the first one is Kingsman, The Secret Service, yeah. which is a lot of fun. It is so much fun, so campy, so packed full of action. One of the greatest action set pieces, uh, action beats, with Colin Firth and Freebird uh, oh playing gosh. in the back. Or Freeman, or Simple Man, I can't remember. No, uh, it, it was, <clears throat> it was a Freebird. Okay, yeah. Uh, it's a great moment uh, in a church in Kentucky uh, as, as Colin Firth just lets go. And God bless Colin Firth. God, God bless him. I, I don't want him to take the Liam Neeson route, but it was a it's lot a of fun to see him in that action before. scene. Yeah. It, was, it was great. It was a great playing its type. It, there. It, it's a yeah. great love letter to uh, the campy '60s Bond. Yeah, and it's easily the best spy movie to come out this year. And we had four major spy movies yep. released, which is interesting in itself. Uh, but this was definitely the best. It was the best Bond movie. But uh, it's a lot of fun. The other movie though was uh, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, Ooh. which is just brilliant and it's just a phenomenal film. It's a great love letter to movies and. They're referencing so many movies that we would never talk about on this show because they're too good for us. Uh, and it's a great, there's a great moment because two of the characters make films and they're all parodies, essentially criterion titles. And so it's, it's a great, great little thing that they do. And it's just, it's moving and it's poignant and it's easily my favorite film of the year. Uh, it's one of the best I've seen. And so I definitely am fired up about those. Uh, but thank you so much, gentlemen, for that fire and that ire. Uh, but we've got to talk about next week. And next week is uh, the continuation of You Don't Know Jack Part Deux, and it's a host pick week, and it just happens to be my host pick. It is. Uh-oh. So, gentlemen. What do we got? The unwritten rule says that I have to find a movie with Jack Nicholson. Guys, I really thought this was going to be an easy ride. I looked all over for some shining work that I could just bring to the table, and honestly, it it really makes a man a little cuckoo. Uh, there had to just be five easy pieces that I could choose from. You know, He's something. Oh wow! Something that could just make me say, "That's Chinatown, Jack." Wow! Whoa. <laughs> but nothing was coming to mind. So I, I took a little vacation. I went and saw the sights, and I found inspiration. And so next week, ladies and gentlemen, dear listener, it's going to be a week of first because first we're going to do a dual sode where we watch two movies for the same week. 
Then, it's also the first time we've ever encountered a certain director on this show. Next week, we're taking a flight back to the States, and we're shipping up to Boston, because next week we take a look at 2002's crime drama Infernal Affairs and Marty Scorsese's 2006 remake starring Jack Nicholson and a slew of other A-listers, The Departed. When I was your age, they would say we could become cops or criminals. What I'm saying is this. When you're facing a loaded gun, what's the difference? This is not the regular police. This is the state police. We are an elite unit. This is who we're after. Frank Costello. You won't be paid as a regular cop, but there's a bonus involved. So what do I do? You will not ever know the identity of undercover people. Do you have anyone in with Costello presently? Maybe. Do you know who I am? Maybe not. When I had my associates search you. That was quick. Think he's dead already? Get your hands off me! I think we could work something out. We are all convinced that Costello has at least one mole inside the Special Investigations Unit. There are parts of my job I can't talk to you about. Man, you are trouble. You don't know the half of it. You better get organized, quick. Hey, last time I checked, I tipped you off and you're not in jail. Get the feeling we got a cop in my crew. Sooner or later, he's gonna find out who I am and he's gonna kill me. I can get the rat. You just gotta let me do it my way. If you don't, it won't be me who pays for it. There is a leak from the inside. It's real, man. Smoke him out. You're lying to me. There are things you don't want to know about. What are you waiting for, honestly? I mean, do you want him to chop me up and feed me to the poor? Is that what you guys want? your brother she's on her way out you all are act according that's right dear listener we will be watching the departed and infernal affairs so get ready for a two-timing affair next week uh dear listener thank you again so much for listening remember to check out a few good men watch the departed watch infernal affairs uh and have a conversation with someone because that's why we do this that is what this is all about and until next time when we reveal who the mole is we thank you so much for listening